Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast, concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know that this is your most important event. It is their goal to make you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN, LD at Large. I hope you guys are all reading, enjoying, and listening. I'm here today with creative concept designer for Mercury Sound and Lighting and founder at the Kite Group, my good friend Peter Kite. Thank you so much for joining me today, buddy. How are you doing? Good. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've been enjoying all your photos on Facebook of you... uh, teaching the kids how to dig up rocks and uh, losing their, their training wheels. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of stay-at-home stuff going on right now. Yeah, um, it's the, the magical silver lining that we're all having to find now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm lucky to be able to do it, I guess. Uh, the financial hammer hasn't quite hit yet, but it feels... It feels like it's looming always, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but you know, there's a lot of us in the same boat right now, and uh, some of us are definitely better off than others. And I am grateful for all the things that I do have. Yeah, I always wonder what people are doing right now without kids. I would imagine they just have endless time to be doing whatever it is they feel they they get to do. Yeah, I think you always sort of imagine the grass greener on the other side. Like, I imagine people without kids, you know, all learning how to play guitar and writing novels and screenplays and learning other languages. Uh, I imagine the reality the reality involves something probably more simple like Doritos and Netflix. Um, <laughs> what I wouldn't give for some Doritos and Netflix. No, I, I did catch up on the Tiger King the other day. That was that was a train wreck that everybody oh. must see. It's super interesting. Yeah, we saw no, it. I had no idea that world existed, but uh, yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned that. And no, because it's even I've been on a few Zoom calls and like work calls. I'm on a board uh, of the AIA here in Detroit, which is the American um, Institute of Architects. God, I think that's what it's called. Anyway, um, you know, when we got, we're all very serious talking about our thing, and then it just kind of gets quiet, and somebody says, "Well, what are we all watching on Netflix right now?" Then that becomes the conversation that lasts, that everybody's the most interested in, and oh, I haven't seen that. Blah blah blah. That sounds great. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, the- it's, uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. The reason I'm reaching out to you is because in my industry of rock and roll, which was, which is also yours uh, for the most part, we've had to make a major shift because without the ability to gather, we can't really offer any of our services to any of the normal uh, compadres that we have normally reached out to. So now we're all kind of looking to see if we can offer our services to the architectural side of our industry. And I'm hoping that you, uh, you have a little insight on that. Like, what can we do? How can we offer our services? Um, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, I was around, I was in Vegas during the recession and it never really quite died. Like it's literally somebody just put their foot on the brake and it's just holding it there. And it's, there's been some interesting pivots though. Right. Um, 
staging and decking companies and tent companies are doing building temporary hospitals. I mean, leveraging an industry that can build and dismantle things at lightning speed, uh, providing all the HVAC power, lighting, flooring, any you name it, uh, building temporary shelters. That's what we do all the time in rock and roll. I mean, we we logist, logistics, moving things around the country on a schedule and people and equipment in the service of getting something done on a specific timeline. I mean, I don't want to get political, but had we had, um, you know, more stagehand and event-minded people running the response, I think we can get a lot done. And some of them are pivoting that way. <laughs> yes. You know, um, if you look at what's happening at Javits, uh, that the convention center workers are putting hospitals together. And, and same with here in Detroit at, at the former Cobo uh, Center. They're building, you know, hospitals. It's, it's incredible. Um, but it's not all dire because I think the silver lining sometimes that's there um, that seems to be trickling in is that now that there are no people around and no money to spend, not a lot of money to spend on things, people are looking towards capital budget to try and maybe get some work done mm-hmm. um, on these sort of on the systems integration side. So, a lot of companies want to have a more robust conferencing system now. And that right. can be as, sim- as simple as, you know, general AV things. But, you know, people are a lot more picky now with how they look and, and they want a more polished presentation. So there's lighting elements there as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they want to do key lighting and backlighting and there's, People are, are asking questions about color temperature and and their video cameras want to be a higher quality so they can present a more polished online um, sort of presentation. So the, yeah. there's been there's been an increase in a, in interest and in, and quoting on that side. Um, so one of the things yeah. that I've been doing is I've been reaching out quite a few of my architectural design friends, and they're saying like, yeah the the work for us has only slowed down minimally because a lot of construction is considered essential. And, you know, a lot of the people who are out there doing construction, they're so far apart from one another. They're, they can, they can wear masks and they can continue to work. And there's still quite a bit of construction still happening. So it means that there's still installations that are being specced. There's still. That's uh, very true there's still lighting necessary for buildings and that doesn't mm-hmm. exclude moving lights. There's moving no, lights are still going into theaters. There's still uh, led strips, led tubes. There's still a lot of yep. video walls going in. Yeah. I'm so, in the process of, of finalizing design with uh, a couple different architects on a project here in Detroit that has all those things. There's a there's LED pars, there are LED moving lights, there's the whole video tubes, um, some of the PIX line uh, line from Martin I'm specking in the outdoor archway. There's park lighting, there is pixel mapped festoons. I mean, and that's still moving forward. And and we're still having the design meetings and specking all that um, all that equipment and. I mean, thank God for that stuff because that's what's supporting us in a lot of ways right now. I just had a uh, a very simple lighting project, which is basically lighting an underpass here in Detroit with some very generic and not super sexy LED lighting, and that's we, you know that's moving forward. We want to they want to build that now. This is this is an organization that sort of helps businesses in the Detroit area grow, and they do a lot of these types of projects. And a lot of their other projects have dried up. So they want to move forward. They still, people still want to do things as safely as possible, of course, but um, sometimes without having a lot of people around now. And and another thing to remember too is uh, a lot of AV companies are considered essential services as well because we're enabling communication um, and helping people sort of connect with one another. Yeah, that's very accurate. 
Uh, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that in the rock and roll world, we we move so fast paced that when things cancel, we can cancel quickly and we, we can also start up quickly. You know, a lot of things, Yeah. when you come up with a, an idea from idea to nuts and bolts is just a matter of weeks. Whereas in the architectural landscape world, from idea to design to building to completion is a matter of years. Yeah, it's got a much longer lead time, but but there are, I mean, pro- before these problems, there has been a trend to make um, the built environment much more dynamic and expressive too. I have so many conversations with clients that are all about using lighting and video kind of interchangeably and how um, we can help make their buildings become more expressive and, and communicate back to the community or, or, or communicate what the community, the general community around it is thinking. I mean, my sort of, um, you know, when I went from just being a stagehand and enjoying my life um, doing that, when I saw the lights at the 9-11 memorial after the, you know, after that whole thing hit and they had that giant, those giant columns of light representing the Twin Towers, that's when I really sort of had a big sea change in my, in my own thinking about what type of work it is that we do and how we can actually affect behavior and, and emotion on a level that I never thought possible because it really moved me personally. Um, and then I've been sort of trying to carry that message to builders and developers and CEOs on, on how to look at architectural lighting as, you know, allowing, allowing a, built environment to express the brand's ethos and, and values. And um, and it's as simple as lighting up pink for breast cancer awareness or blue for autism or green for MS. That's something I discovered recently. Um, red, white, and blue, 4th of July. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, and, and all these people, uh, builders, developers, CEOs, they're all responding very strongly to that. They want they want to connect. They want to make that connection with the community. And when you when you do when you build uh, a building and you're and you're adding sort of this element to it, um, your audience is the community. I mean, you can have the most dynamically lit building in the world, but if it's two a.m. and you're still flashing red, white, and blue or rainbow colors, your neighbors are going to get pissed. So you got to be able to take that um, take that lighting and turn it into something a little softer and maybe the motion stops and it all turns to just what I always tell my clients are it can be very dynamic. And then, you know, at a certain time it can go back to classical architectural lighting, something that's mm-hmm. very neighbor friendly. Um, and in, in the service of that, I'm using a lot more of my live event colleagues to help me realize some of those ideas because Making that shift is so easy. I mean, maybe it's not easy, but it's uh, the skill set required is the same. Um, mm-hmm. You might have a bit more lead time than you do in rock and roll, um, but at some point, you still need a guy in a concert. Sorry, you still need a person, male, female, whatever, uh, on that console uh, writing those looks. And um, there's still that sense of art that goes into it. Um, yeah, I see a lot of the I'm new buildings, well. they've already thought about that. They've already installed either a video element to their building or they've uh-huh. at least got some nice uplights or something. Yeah. But some of the older buildings that don't have it, when they want to do a show to the entire community, they realize that they, they're going to need a way to change the color of their building. So they're going to need an, an amount of LED PARs or strips or moving lights or something uh-huh. and i know that you have a lot of uh, experience doing that i know you've lit up some some, uh, some very large buildings well michigan central station i think is what you're uh, referring to uh, when i first moved to detroit and i saw that building i fell in love with it i wanted to um i wanted to projection map on it 
and I did some math and I, well, I had some other people do the math for me because they're much smarter than I am, but we really we were looking at somewhere in the line of between 50 and 70 projectors. Um, so then I thought, well, that's a lot of money. That's going to cost a lot of money. So maybe we should do a festival. So I had this festival planned and it just kind of got it turned into a big behemoth. I, I, I just moved to Detroit. I didn't really know much about Detroit. And then um, I wanted to get to the owners of the building. Turns out they were this wealthy family and, I presented the idea to them and they said, well, you know, Detroit's going through a bankruptcy, right? And here's me presenting this $3 million uh, festival idea. And it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do at the time. However, um, I did get to meet the right people. And uh, Detroit does a thing every year. Dan Gilbert, um, who owns Quicken Loans, uh, has a company called Bedrock. It's one of the largest real estate holders here in Detroit. Um, they do this thing called the homecoming every year. And it's about getting Detroit companies back to move back to Detroit. And when they do, they get celebrated at this event. And this one particular year, they were doing an event at the Michigan Central Station. And it was the first event in the station in 40 years. Um, and I was so excited about that. And I had had this idea. Um, probably a year and a half before I was trying to ship or uh, trying to pitch it to the automotive folks for auto show. I had a video made uh, sort of this great little idea. And basically my, my idea was to put an LED fixture in each of the 266 windows that were visible um, and sort of pixel map it and create sort of this eight bit story. Um, so I got a touch with the PR company that was doing the the overall uh, project, the event. And they said, well, we already have our AV company. I'm like, no, 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 that's okay. I'm not trying to step on any toes. I have something I want to show you. And I showed uh, this woman, uh, Colleen, the um, the video that I made. And she was just, she just fell in love. And um, we were talking about how to elicit emotion uh, earlier. And I was shocked at... Um, First of all, how well it, how great it looked. I was paranoid that one LED par on the window wasn't going to cut it, but um, we came up with the idea to use a uh, this this queen over the windows to create kind of a diffusion. And I remember I was working with uh, this company, Blue Water Technologies, at the time, and they had their Christmas party. They had it every year in the summer, the holiday party, and they were all doing this boat cruise. But I had put some lights in the windows during the day, turn them on and I had to leave while they locked up. So I wanted to sit in my car, which I did wait till dark to see these three windows and they were lit up and it looked great. And I said, okay, this is actually going to work. <laughs> um, it's a lot so of we got in with a crew. We had a, we had a window covering crew, uh, 266 windows. Luckily for us, the building was basically gutted. So we could just literally put the fixtures on the floor and connect them window to window to window. There were holes in the floor so you could run data and power down to the next floor, <laughs> up to the next floor. So it all went in rather quickly. And it, um, we turned it on at dusk and it was, there was a lot of excitement about it. And in Detroit, it's, it's in this place called Corktown. There's a big park in front of it. And the minute we turned it on, a crowd started to gather and it was so exciting because we kept the console inside, I was outside on a walkie directing my programmer. Uh, great programmer, Gary McGarity. Big shout out to Gary. Um, and our uh, ME project manager was... Uh, shit, he's going to give me... Jason Olivier. Uh, really great tech and smart guy. Um, and so we're adjusting focus and color and changing the fixture profile and some of the fixtures. And we had some messaging that we were right and, and there were hundreds of people coming down to figure out what was going on. And then the, uh, the design was, um, I'll give you a link that where you can look at it, a great video. You can look at it if you want to send your, uh, your subscribers to it. Um, yeah, I'll definitely put a link in the notes. It was, uh, uh, so it was on before the actual event for a few days. And so I was going down every day, just, you know, turning it on and, and checking it out and 
meeting every meeting tons of people. And I kept hearing stories of what this, the station was so symbolic as to Detroit's rebirth and revival. So the messaging we had was, um, oh God, what was it? Reimagining, reinventing, um, and basically letting everybody know that Detroit was back up and running. Yeah, that's that's and 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 it was really inspirational to the community around it. Like just the people who lived, people at the Detroit barbershop, all the, they all came over and they were so excited. And um, the local businesses there in Corktown were so excited. And you, I kept hearing story after story. You know, my grandparents met at this station. He was a shoe shine person, and my mother was would clean the floors and, and they met and, and, or this is where my grandmother had sent my grandfather off the war. And he never came back. Like it was, it was amazing. As, as I'm talking about it, I'm getting goosebumps because for the first time in so long, I felt like the work I did actually moved somebody more than myself or my clients. You know, it was, it felt like bigger than me and it was very humbling and, they were so excited to meet me. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I'm saying that because it was really surprising at how much, how thankful they were. And, um, it really was a moving experience. So, so that's the kind of message I'm trying to tell my, uh, my clients now, like that it was, it was a powerful thing I experienced firsthand. And, um, that's the kind of message I try and sell when I talk about concept designs for buildings and whatnot. Have you ever heard of the broken window theory? Yeah, I think so. Is that where you fix all the broken windows and then the whole neighborhood starts getting better? Exactly. So basically yeah. if, if you see broken windows or signs of crime, that means it's going to perpetuate more crime. I would imagine if you put Visqueen over them and light them up in rainbow colors, you get a completely different effect. So I can only imagine yeah, the effect was, you had on that immediate vicinity if if they were looking at broken windows before and then they got to look at rainbow pixel mapped yeah. LED building. I would imagine you you lifted that entire community just by by making the, the colors on the windows. It was a lot it definitely was a lot of fun. And then following year, we did a Halloween installation, which was a little bit smaller for Ford because Ford had bought the building. Um, and uh, we did this Halloween. So we, you know, trying to do a animated narrative um, using a, uh, what was it? 20 by 17 pixels or something like that um, was a challenge. But I have a, I work with a great uh, animator, uh, Troy Weiner, and I came up sort of with some story concepts and some high-level ideas, and he sort of turned them into something really amazing. And so we did a whole Halloween thing, which was amazing too. It was just I love doing things at scale like that. It's so much fun, you know. I still like the challenge of doing a small stage at a corporate event. Even those things, I, I sort of treat them the same way. But um, there's something about doing things at scale that I really love. So I can only imagine that that was a quite a daunting task for you to go in and try and pitch something like that. And I would imagine there was a, a, a table full of bean counters going like, well, what's the return on investment? And you're like, well, there's no real yeah. monetary return on investment. And then they're going to ask you how much it costs. And then yeah. you have to really sell them on, on the value of this. What sort of tools do you use to sell people who don't have, who lack the, the creativity and imagination that, inside you how do you sell people on your your for the lack of term wacky ideas i mean they're, they're grandiose <laughs> ideas no that's that's pretty uh that's pretty accurate actually um yeah. so you know back in our vegas days i used to program i was i was a hog guy and i programmed media servers and um i did the corporate events and and, and i love doing that it was so i don't want to say easy but there was something about the beginning, middle and end to doing those types of gigs that I love. This, this is a different, you know, it's a different tool set, but over the years I've, I've learned to sort of strike a balance between telling people the technical needs, telling them what we can do visually. And, um, I learned that 
not to be uh, afraid of a good idea and not to uh, believe in a good idea because ideas are what our ideas are what differentiate the different production companies out there. Everybody's got ideas, right? But they're all mm-hmm. different. So if you have some good ideas, it doesn't matter what you use for a fixture necessarily. Sorry, Chris, I know Ayrton makes great fixtures, but I have a lot, a lot of companies have the same types of fixtures and the same LED walls, but what are you going to do with that equipment? How do you leverage that equipment in an exciting way? And I, I learned that not a lot of people have uh, great ideas, but that's not to say every idea is great. Um, it's not always about this fantastical idea. Sometimes you have to, well, you always have to listen to your client and figure out what they want and then come up with something that's going to excite them and help tell their story visually. Right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we do. We do that for rock and roll in a, in a way um, production designer has a, has a vision and, and, the, and that comes from the band and we, you know, the lighting programmers and designers try to do their best to interpret that vision and make something awesome happen. Right. And it's really no different, but I'll tell you a story. I, I work with an architect in Indianapolis. She had this idea for these obelisks in the Indianapolis airport. And it came up with this idea to the first thought she said, well, what can you do to, to do something technical? It was a very gen- general question. And I find this a lot about architects. And then that's another thing, working with architects on enabling them to, um, to do something that they may not know how to do yet. How can we, how can we leverage the things that we know to teach and, and help architects to understand what's possible? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of smart architects out there, but they, but having people like us who understand how to use video and lighting interchangeably and how to design audio in a way that's, you know, more efficient than just putting a couple speakers in a, in a certain zone. And, um, that's skill that is in demand right now. So, um, for people, you know, who are creative and, um, who know how to put all those things together, you know, phone up some architects, say, Hey, do you, do you know about this technology? Do you, do you want to know more? You know, I know about this. I can help you. And this, those, those are some of the conversations I'm having now too, you know, um, is that your first step from 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 a uh, spark of idea to to fruition is to just kind of reach out to different people that you find online or do you, do you try and spread will, word of yeah. mouth I sometimes will start with an idea before I even have a client um, <laughs> I know yeah. that sounds weird uh, that's how the, that's how the station happens i I walk that idea down the road I had people and I bring people in um, I, you know, I was programming media servers 10 years ago and I was okay. I wasn't the greatest program, but I, I knew how they, how things link together. Um, there are a lot more people who are a lot smarter than me who do that now. And the technology has advanced so much that I know enough to be dangerous to put certain people together, but I try to bring in as many people as I can to help me develop these ideas. So that collaboration, um, is, I mean, you know, we've talked about projects together. Uh, my friend Fraser Kerrigan, who you know as well, him and I, 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 I bring him on ideas or I bring him on events that, because I don't program anymore, really. I don't, I'm not fast enough. At, I, I didn't keep up my, I hung on my programming fingers years ago. So <laughs> it's, it's a real joy to me to bring in people like that to help me realize my ideas. And, and it becomes like a, a collaborative exercise. Um, so anyway, um, I just want to get back to this airport thing. So after discussing the idea on what I could do with these obelisks and, and rather than covering the entire thing in LED or creating these giant, like massively bright, we went with sort of a combination of LED strips, LED panels, uh, and, and some organic materials and, that's where the architects could teach me things too. So now I want to blend wood and led panels and how do I do that? And so we came up with this really cool render and then I had to sell it to the airport board with the architects. So going into that meeting, that's the meeting you're talking about. There's the bean counters there. 
uh, you know, everybody's 65 and up and does not understand this technology. So the important thing there is making your idea heard in a way that's going to be uh, both exciting and understandable without making people feel stupid. You know, I've been in enough meetings with certain, some people who over, over talk the tech and I've been there myself. I learned very quickly not to do that. Or some people will talk down to the client, like, you don't understand this thing, but I, I got to tell you, it's really, you know what I mean? That type of attitude will not fly because people are spending a lot of money, sometimes millions of dollars on some of these projects. And uh, they need to know what they're getting and how it's going to benefit them. So I try to walk them down, walk them down that path. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Um, visuals are extremely important. Renders. Uh, video renders to, to help sell the concept so you don't have to explain it to them. Um, the, mm -hmm. They can see it and you can just see them. The lights come in their eyes, so to speak, and they get it. Um, that's that's really important. Having somebody who can really put together great renders. Sort of the, 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 the renders right out of Vectorworks and stuff are, are great for sort of concept stuff, but having stuff that's a little bit more polished, having a good animator, um, it's super important to help get your ideas across to those types of people. I know you and I have been on shows where we kind of, in the middle of the show, we stopped to make a lighting look, to make it look exactly the way it had on some of your renders. And yeah. it's almost a mirror image sometimes because yeah. you put so much time and so much effort into the way your presentations look. It's That's really important, right? Because that's, that's, that's what's going to get you that meeting. Um, and if you have a great idea, it means nothing if you don't get a meeting. So you have to be bold. You first, if you have to have conviction, you know, you have to believe in what you're doing, um, because that that honesty that comes across. If you're kind of BSing someone because you want to put a ton of gear on a project, that also comes across. Uh, these people don't get to be CEOs and, and developers and architects because they're stupid. Um, and authenticity is real and reality sells nowadays. People want to believe that this is something you can do and mm -hmm. this is something you can make happen. And they, they want to get on that train and be excited with you. They do. You know, you talked about the ROI thing. I rarely get anyone asking me about ROI anymore when I talk about ideas because the idea itself is the ROI. And wow. if, if they buy into the uh, if they buy into the story that you're telling them, or if they see a connection between their brand story and the visual uh, the visuals that you're doing to sort of support their business objective, that is gold to them. And then it then budgets really I'm I'm, I'm going to say this, but people are going to laugh at me. But then budgets don't really matter once they buy into the idea and they feel that it connects to their brand. They're like, make it happen. So um, now that might be a bit of a uh, rosy outlook at how it goes down. Um, but even if you get, if you get, if a client loves your idea, you need to find a way to somehow, somehow make that idea scalable in terms of budget. So you give them the same expression of that idea in a lower budget. So if you have, you know, up lights, down lights on the surface of a building and it's all mapped, Maybe the budget-friendly version of that is just up lights and it's sort of animated instead of mapped, you know? Um, I, would imagine you the same go, idea. I would imagine you can't go into those meetings with any sort of hesitancy. You can't go in and you're like, well, if you kind of like want to do this, I could maybe do this. You have to really generate the enthusiasm and, and you have to convince them that... That this yeah, is no the, the most impact that they're going to get. There's no question of uh, having a strong idea is important, but there's a lot of fluidity in these meetings too. So you need to have the ability to pivot sometimes. And, and I've been in meetings where the first idea has fallen like dead flat where, and that's, this is the thing about um, ideas, right? Like you have to be bold. You have to be bold. Um, be bold with your idea. You have to get it out there, lay it out on the table, and sometimes it ain't going to work. 
and it's a horrible feeling. Um, it is horrible. <laughs> but, there's uh, a little bit of you in, in your, in option. There's a. a lot of you. Yeah. Right? That's the thing. When you're, when you're giving something, you're being honest, you're selling something that's real. The once that's a, that's a rejection that cuts deep sometimes. But if you, if you try not to get too emotional and you listen to what your client's saying, maybe your idea is not that far off and maybe it's how you expressed it. So the pivot there is how do you pivot? when they give you that feedback in a way that's going to be positive. And that's sometimes even more satisfying because the first idea kind of fell flat, but you're working. You're, that's what the creative process is all about too, right? It is a process. And the initial uh, airport project, how it got built looks different than the initial version. But I never, we, ne- we never built it. It was another company that got bid out. Um, but, um, how, with, how the reality looks still kind of cool, but it's not a hundred percent, um, the same. So you kind of have to let it go sometimes too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess you, you kind of have to distance yourself from option a and then kind of pivot yourself into option B without losing that momentum and that uh that that love and that drive for that the, the same project mm-hmm. it, uh, yeah I, I had a salesperson once came up to me and said i the client wants three ideas i want i want three different ideas and a low medium high version of them all i said no how about we find one idea that they like and then give them a couple scale budget versions mm-hmm. instead because Get, giving somebody too many ideas just weakens all the ideas. Go with something that you think they might like. Start there. Get them excited about that idea. And then whatever the budget is or however that idea then progresses down the road. Yeah. Um, that's let's, that's let's kind of the for fun. A home run here. We're, 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 let's try for a home run instead of going for, for three singles. We're, yeah. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah, swing, uh, you, swing for the fence and get people excited about that. And then then we can talk about how we can fit that into a budget. But of course, you know, I mean, that's all within, uh, you know, you got to keep it real too. Like if somebody says, I have this project and I have this much budget, don't create an idea that's completely out of line with that either. You know, you have to, you have to be practical too. But in that sort of framework, there's still room for excitement and creativity. So um, there's a lot of things to think about. It's a different tool set. That's for sure. That's why I sometimes miss like opening up the console, flipping on the console and having that conversation with the Emmy. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I miss sort of that, that the simplicity of that, not just not to say it's simple, but you know what I mean? Just the, I just miss that connection. I miss, I miss being on shows and, um, you know, we had a great time doing Elton's Oscar party in LA and mm-hmm. that was just so much fun. And, um, there's some fun in this too. Don't get me wrong, but it's just different. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of times that conversation will start in a board meeting and then one of the, either one of the bean counters or one of the main clients will be like, well, let's, talk about this later over drinks. And then sometimes there could be like a slippery slope there where they're like, Hey, tell you what, if you can, if you can take care of me, I'll make sure that your vision comes through to fruition. <laughs> does that ever, does that ever come across to your desk? You're like, Hey, I, I want to help you. Does it get, does the lines ever get blurry like there between bribes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a gray that, area there. Well, there's, so, there's, there's, there's so you always want to treat, yeah. Some some people have some people will want you to wine and dine them, and they won't make a secret of that. When I was in Vegas, people wanted to golf, and they would drop drop really not so veiled hints. I want to golf at this great, you know, the MGM golf course. I want to golf there. I want to golf at Wynn. Never done that hint hint, and yeah. Sometimes I've had some people who've owned businesses that have dropped a lot of cash in my 
lap and said, take these guys out and show them a great time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's something that happens. I, it's not been my experience lately. I find, um, the people I'm talking to now are, it's, it, the, the stakes are bigger. It's not sort of a one-off show. It's something that's going to, um, you know, there's more eyes on it. There, it's it's from a high corporate level of, of a large, uh, you know, like an automotive company. That's that's a different story. There are there are really hard and fast rules that you don't want to mess with. Uh, not to say there's no room to to get excited and creative and all that, but um, there's less of that these days. I think. I think when when it was happening back before the sort of recession and even during the recession back in, you know, mid to late two thousands. Um, yeah, there was a lot of that going on. Um, and I was, I just dove right into that, you know, like I was a part of that whole thing. Um, and then all of a sudden I found myself going, why am I out drinking so much with clients? So. Yeah. I would imagine it, it starts off very, very naturally. Well, that's where most, uh, contracts are signed or ink deals are inked is at the bar over a napkin at, at first. And then he reconvened yeah. in the morning, but next thing I used you know, to think that was there true. Till... Yeah. I used to think that was true. Yeah. That's I, my, my experience is that's not really true. Um, so it's, it's no secret. I've, I, I've been sober for, uh, over five years and I had a, I had Congratulations. an alcohol, I had an alcohol and drug problem. That was just, insane so my vision of the world then was yeah you take people out get them drunk get them messed up and everybody's going to be great friends and you'll get all the gigs and get all the money and that's not true it's not the way it works um that was a naive view of the world that i had and i don't look at things that way anymore i i look at things more in terms of with integrity i want i want there to be um, transparency and integrity and I don't want to be shady I don't want to slip a guy um, you know a bunch of drinks and then have him sign the contract And mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem to work that way I, I'd rather um, work with some great people and all kind of come together and build consensus on an idea and then have that idea go through now Sometimes you have to grease certain wheels in a certain way. You do. That's a reality too. Um, but that's just, there's, there's always some of that somewhere. I just try and stay away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want, if I want good service from a certain contractor, I may, you know, I may sort of, uh, get them a bottle of booze or something that they may like to try and, you know, spread a little goodwill that way, but that's sort of a sort of comes I feel like to the that's just I feel like that's just good business. That's just gift giving yeah. forth. That's well, it's like you know we've all gone to the steak dinners in Vegas with clients and and industry reps, and that happens. I mean, there's nothing right. wrong with it. That there there there's a there's a great camaraderie that can be built there. There's a there is a tipping point though. Like after that dinner, and you know, you go to the Round Bar at the Hard Rock. I know it no longer exists, but have a few drinks there. And then what, um, you know, my problem was I couldn't stop. I, I just didn't want to end those moments. And until I found myself alone at the round bar. And, um, so thank God that that's no longer an issue. And, um, and, and a lot of people in our industry, you know, like you talk rock and roll, there's a lot of people in rock and roll. And I've done some touring in my life with circus and, uh, you know, Finishing a gig, loading the last truck around 11, you get on the bus and the booze is there and the weed is there and whatever else you like to do is there and you party hard and then you wake up at the next venue the next day and you load in, you do the whole show over again and you rinse and repeat. It's really easy to get caught up in the booze and the drugs because it helps you sort of maintain your edge. And I used to think I needed all that to be creative i thought that was the fuel of my creativity i thought my business connections came from the drinks at the bar and 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 i'm not saying that it that 
everybody has the same issue I have, but it does it does happen a lot in our industry that people succumb to uh, drugs and alcohol in ways that aren't healthy. And it's just a reality. Uh, mm-hmm. Most people don't. Most people can make perfectly good relationships and go to the bar and have a great time and get wasted and do it again the next day and they don't really have a problem. Um, but that world is something that I, I just built this world up of what I thought, how I thought things were. And it took me getting sober to realize that that's not the way things are. And creativity, I'm much more creative. I'm much more in control of my own, how I deal with clients and getting, meeting my deadlines now. And, um, I'm a lot more collaborative. I'm less emotional and well, a less crazy emotional. I'm still pretty yeah. emotional. That's actually one of the things that I took away from our interactions. I used to also think that, but I used to think that was the only way to move yeah. up in our industry. And now I'm, yeah. now I'm realizing that that's only one option. Yeah. yeah so it is a great way to, to schmooze and, and build up uh, relationships, but it's only one option. There's, so many other options. Uh, now that I, my entire job relies on relationships, I've gone to dinners. I've gone for walks. I've gone yeah. bike rides. I've yeah. like, Hey, let's go to the ball game. Let's go do this. And there's so many other things that we can do that don't require a uh, tip a bartender and, you know, spilling, uh, spilling napkins and all that. There's yeah. so many other options available to us. Yeah, it's um, and it's not really the best option either. There's there's way better options. Doing those things that you said are way better options. Um, but I'm uh, you know I'm meeting a lot more people in our industry who are dealing with the same things that I dealt with and still work on. And um, there is a network of people like myself who are still. Um, staying sober and, and, you know, trying to help other people. And, um, I've had people, I'm very open about my sobriety. I, I post things online about it. And, um, and because I do that, people have approached me, you know, whether direct message or phone call or text saying, I need help. You know, I, I'm, you know, I, I saw that you quit drinking. How can I help? How can I, or, or not, how can I help but can you help me? You know, is there anything you can do? And, you know, I've been lucky enough to be able to help some people and see them become sober and see their lives change. Um, and that's extremely rewarding. So, um, I know how, how thankful and grateful I am to have been able to overcome. Um, and it's great seeing other people do the same. So, yeah, Yeah, you, uh, you were definitely a a vessel for me to, to take to take uh, positive steps in that direction, I do my my annual dry February where my wife and I don't drink. We don't have any booze in the house, and mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing how different it goes from being a what I used to be a heavy drinker, going to be a light drinker to the my my months of being a, a total teetotaler. And people will they'll offer, and you say, "Well, I'm not drinking right now," and the responses you get are so varied. Some people are like, Oh, well, good for you. And some people are like, yeah, what do you mean? Like, yeah. You want me to keep pushing until I can get you to drink? Like, no, I'm just telling you, I'm just trying to not drink for one month just to prove to myself that I'm, that I can. And they're like, uh, so does, does that mean you're judging me? I'm like, no. Yeah, I, I get that. I didn't friend, say anything about you. My friends could not believe. I mean, I mean, you knew me back then. There was no secret that I was quite a uh, quite a partier. And when I quit and told my friend, I still wanted to sort of hang out. So I go to the bar, and when they start getting wasted, they were like, "I can't believe you're not drinking." And some people would go, "Oh, you think you're better than me?" And I'm like, "No, I'm just not drinking." That's all. <laughs> No, I'm just putting a different liquid in my body. That's it. That doesn't, uh, it should redefine ourselves. I I still go to the bars and I I still go out with my friends and colleagues after a show or something. I just don't drink. So, yeah. um, 
me not wanting to drink doesn't mean I don't want to hang out with you. I still want to go to yeah. the bar and I still want to talk and I still want to put liquid in my body, just not the poison, the poisonous one that, mm-hmm. that everybody else is drinking right now. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a it's been pretty awesome. I uh, my work relationships, my family, my most important one, my family relationship, the relationship with my wife have all become way better. I've, I'm, you know, not drinking. I, I I had all this extra energy, so I started running. And then in 2017, I ran a marathon, um, which was crazy. That alone was nuts. Um, I still run. I'm probably in the best shape I've been because it helps me sort of focus and. You're definitely the best looking I've ever seen you. (laughs) Why, thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's, so yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, um, I, I'm getting older now, you know, Chris, I'm not a young man. Um, I, uh, I'm very excited about where industry is going. I'm really concerned for, and I, I told you about something I'm working on, um, that I'm keeping on the down low for now, but I really want to try and do what I can do to help uh, my friends and colleagues get back to work. And uh, sometimes big ideas can be far reaching, you know, and it's the, the takeaway I have is just, just be ballsy enough to get it out there. And you'd be surprised how when people, people will say yes to a ballsy idea. Uh, Sometimes when you look at the fence, you strike out and sometimes, you nail it, you know. That is a very mysterious way to leave a cliffhanger at the end of the episode. Thank oh. you so much for your time, buddy. Just everybody know that there is something big in the works that Mr. Peter Kite is working on. Thank uh, you so much for your yeah. time, Peter. I really appreciate it. You've Thanks. been uh, very informative and vulnerable. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Great talking to you as always. <laughs>